chapter 11, moving along. So, 10 chapters are down. And uh, as we got through the first 10 chapters, um, you know, a lot, has, a lot has kind of transpired. A lot at the beginning of the, of, uh, the book of Acts um, focused on, you know, Jesus' you know, ministry right, uh, you know, like as he is just about to leave the scene and the words that he gave to the apostles and then how the Holy Spirit came upon them and the church expanding and the difficulties that they faced. We see these things kind of build upon each other. And um, I, I just feel blessed. I mean, I taught this for a middle school class. Um, you know, we went through, I, it probably was like three weeks, maybe four weeks teaching through Acts. So what is that? Like, you know, like an hour a day, so 20 hours or something. But, um, but now to like kind of slow down and go even more, there's just so many more things in like uh, ways that I, like the things that Luke just shared. You're, sometimes you're like, why did he put that in there? Um, there, are, there, you start to see some of these connections uh, as you go through the book of Acts. And we're going to see some more of those connections just kind of pop up uh, through different people and even just like cities and things like that. And um, how God is, again, just kind of, again, sowing seeds in different areas to finally uh, allow people to hear Christ. I mean, these people knew about Christ. Like the people that were in Israel knew about Christ. They rejected Christ. And then they're giving a second chance to accept Christ again when the apostles come and, and preach that message. And, and now it gets to a group that, you know, Jesus didn't go to. It goes to the Gentiles. And so that's um, the last couple of weeks we'll be looking at, specifically Peter, and uh, how he first went to the city. You know, we looked at, you know, Saul and his conversion, and then it just kind of switches uh, tracks and says, you know, Peter was going to a city named Luda He's in, in Judea. And as he was there, he healed a man. And then something was going on in Joppa where, uh, you know, one of the disciples, a, a, a woman named Tabitha, uh, she got ill and died. And they heard that Peter was in Luda and said, hey, can you come here? We want you to bring her back from the dead. I mean, they had that faith. And so he goes to Joppa and heals her. You know, she is raised from the dead. Um, and uh, he's like, they're like, well, can you stay for a little bit? He's like, sure, I'll stay for a little bit. And that time, as he's praying, he's got this vision, a kind of bizarre vision. You know, maybe talk about that again, but just kind of curious, like, what was that about? All of a sudden, he hears a knock on the door, and God had orchestrated three men from Caesarea, which was 30 miles north of Joppa, to come, you know, see this centurion named Cornelius. And that vision he had kind of spoke to him, was like, oh, normally I would say no. I don't, we don't go to Gentiles. Jews don't mix with Gentiles. I can't go up there and eat with you because that would make me unclean. Um, and so Jews need to stay separate from Gentiles. And God's like, that's not really what you know, I was intending. We'll, we'll continue to kind of delve into what those things look like. And so he goes up there. He says, okay, well, maybe God is, you know, wants me to, to interact. And when he went there, Cornelius was like, I got my house full of people, guests, we know you're from God, speak. And he does, preaches the message, and they all turn to Christ. And we see, like, that's the first time that the Gentiles hear that message. And uh, as we go through kind of, like, understanding what, you know, what's going on and how this has a ripple effect, um, uh, you know, I want us to kind of think maybe about our own lives, um, you know, things that happen and the ripple effect maybe that we, ha- we had. Can any of you remember or maybe you know, recollect um, encountering somebody that was surprised to find out that you were a follower of Jesus? Maybe you still do. <laughs> you know, maybe you had that past 
that, you know, when you get together with people, whether a reunion or you run into somebody and they're like, really, <laughs> you? Um, you know, some people aren't as bold to do, say that to your face, but sometimes people are like, really? Uh, anyone have that, that ever incident or know that somebody was surprised or just like, huh? And it could be in a, could be in a good way, like surprised, like shocked <laughs> or surprised, like, you know, overjoyed maybe. And so hopefully, you know, on that sense, right, maybe people praying for you and like that you just never knew of and they're, you know, they, they maybe then say like, hey, I've been praying for you. Um, sometimes we don't even know like, like uh, how, uh, you know, the decisions we make, how it impacts other people. And that is the greatest decision that, that any of us could make. Well, we're going to find out the news about what happened at, in Caesarea, this coastal city, um, you know, a little bit far off from Jerusalem, um, uh, how it had, you know, had made its way back to the people in Jerusalem. So we're at the very beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, and uh, we're going to see in this first verse that the news had spread. The news had spread, and we see now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Okay, so first, where did, where did it say uh, that the word, uh, you know, that the news of this had spread? Throughout what area? All Judea. It's kind of interesting. Remember, Jesus said, I want you to preach, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea. And so they had, and now disciples have popped up all throughout Judea and then and Samaria. Um, but now they're starting to hear that the ends of the earth part of Jesus' command is starting to like come back. Like, you know, they heard what happened. Now, why was this newsworthy? Like, why, why do you think it's something like that, you know, like had been communicated? What's that? It's encouraging to the okay, it's encouraging. Why would it be encouraging? Okay. Okay. Now, anything else specific about? Uh, okay, it's Gentiles. What's the big deal about Gentiles? That's new. Okay. Um, yeah. Up to this point, now again, everybody in this you know, Judea who had heard heard the word uh, would have been kind of Old Testament followers. Gentiles typically are what? Pagans, okay. Now, Cornelius was a little different. And it says that he feared God and that likely, you know, again, we said that likely he's, he probably would have followed. He was respected by the Jews. He may not have been a, a pagan worshiper, probably not, because God heard his prayer, so he's not praying to some pagan God. Um, he's praying to the God that would hear his prayers and that, that uh, is the God of the Old Testament. And so we see that that is new, but even though he still worshiped that same God, what kept him from being accepted? I mean, he was revered by the Jews, respected by the Jews, but he wasn't accepted by the Jews. Well, say he wasn't one of them, right? He wasn't even a proselyte. He wasn't a proselyte, right? And so, um, so one of the things that we have to kind of understand is that that you know, remember Abraham uh, when he was given the covenant, it was like through your seed. And the Gentiles are not through his seed. So really, like, you're not a part of this uh, uh, family line. You're not a part of this nation. And, um, you know, you're not a part of, like, the sojourners that are in our camp. Because really, at this time, 
Israel's not in control. And so this kind of this like weird area where since the Roman Empire is kind of in charge, like the Jews kind of feel like, well, we're just going to be insulated. Like it's only going to be kind of through that. Remember Jesus said, you know, kind of rebuke the Pharisees. You know, they would actually say like they would go far places to, to make somebody, uh, you know, a convert to the Pharisees. But really they weren't preaching to outside people uh, that often. And so it's newsworthy because they are now like the Jews had kind of said, well, we respect you. You give money to the poor. Um, you know, you're an upright man, uh, but you're not one of us. And, you know, here come some Jewish Christians that are like, all right, you can be one of us. Right. And so there's this tension, even though the Jews are now becoming Christians, it's the same thing as like, uh, is, you know, maybe growing up in a household where you had certain traditions and then you become a Christian and then you're still wrestling with, are any of those traditions still acceptable? And sometimes we react where we like reject everything from our past. Uh, or sometimes on the other side, we uh, continue to have very little change in our lives. Um, and I think that's where we as Christians start hitting those gray area issues. And Paul talks about that in a whole lot of areas. And we'll, we'll kind of uncover some of those in a few chapters. But, um, you know, for these Jewish Christians, we're going to see a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of tension. Just start to, to see. You might even miss it if, you don't, if I don't point, point it out. Um, but so far, the news has spread. And verse 2, we're going to see that the news is met with a little bit of maybe skepticism. Verse 2 says, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. All right, now who were the circumcision party? We're kind of introduced to like the circumcision party. Um, I always joke with my middle schoolers, this doesn't sound like a party, right? <laughs> so, um, so <laughs> and there was some awkwardness. But anyway, so uh, the circumcision party, like who, 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 was, who was that group? Okay, well, now um, in different places we would call them the Judaizers, yes. Uh, and... Um, I think right now we'll just start to say generally it's those that are Jews. Yeah, those that are Jews. But later it will become those that like take a hardline stance. Like you need to take these certain, you need to become more Jewish. We'll talk about this in a little bit um, about what that is. So former Jews have become believers, right? Because uh, that's who's hearing that. Um, and so we'll later see that they will think that the Gentiles should become circumcised. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that point. But when would they become circumcised? They become circumcised after they accepted Christ. But right now, they're just being critical that Peter even went to this uncircumcised group. And it says uh, that word for criticized means uh, judged, um, when God judges. And so that's kind of their idea. They judged in their hearts. Um, Peter and the decision that he made, right? And again, they haven't even heard what Peter, Peter said. They're already just kind of having a gut reaction uh, for better or for worse. And it sounds like for worse. And so um, what's the basis of circumcision? Now we're going to get to this a little bit more in detail, but if you flip to Genesis 17, I just want to read so we kind of understand, you know, we have an understanding of why the Jews felt this way. You know, sometimes we, you know, not that they shouldn't, but sometimes I feel like, you know, the Pharisees and certain groups, like, we look down on them with that understanding, maybe why they would have reacted the same way. Because if we look at our own lives and certain things that maybe, like, again, traditions that we hold strongly to, and this is definitely a, you know, 
Uh, Pastor Shane has preached on this. Um, certain traditions that we have, we hold strongly to. And then later we were like, you know, I don't know why I was holding so strongly. Like, so we would condemn ourselves. But here, here's kind of why they had the, the understanding or the thought about those who are circumcised and are not. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, this is Genesis 17, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So he kind of repeats this idea like me and you and everybody in your line. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you can understand why like, this idea about circumcision is really a matter of obedience. And there's places later on in Scripture, we might go to them later, because this becomes a bigger deal later on in Acts. So we'll, like, like I said, we'll look at it a little bit, little bit more. Um, but their whole idea was that, uh, you know, that Gentiles aren't circumcised, they're not one of us, they're to be cut off. Is that really the understanding? Because that's, that's, that's how, they would, how they would interpret um, the idea of circumcision. And I'm sure there's things that maybe you, ha- you grew up with or an understanding, and maybe it was even a Bible verse that before you, like, somebody taught on it, you were like, you know, I always thought it meant this, but then, oh, that makes sense, right? So you kind of like, I don't know, I just grew up thinking this um, or just, you know, had heard this and continue to think this way. And so for the Jews, like, if you're not circumcised, you're not one of us, and, you know, you need to be cut off from us. Um, but is that really, so where do the Gentiles fit in this? Well, they're not circumcised, that's definitely true. But like, if you think about what, what this covenant is made, it's made between Abraham's descendants. Well, we already said Gentiles are not Abraham's descendants, so are they, are they supposed to be under this covenant? Yeah, so it's kind of this like gray area, like, you know, when God set up his whole plan, he's like, I have a nation, I'm giving you a land. When people come into the land, if they become, you know, if they're bought by your money and they come into your household and you're coming into your place, you know, and you're being accepted within this nation where I am your ruler, I'm your God, and we have a priestly nation and all like that. But at this point in history, like all that's shattered, right? The land is occupied by Romans, they're the ones in charge, they... They have high priests, but they're not really in charge, and they're definitely not having God as like the person who is their leader. Um, and so at this point, it's like, well, the whole covenant is kind of like set aside, right? You know, my covenant with Abraham's still there. Like, I still want faithful Jews to be circumcised, you know, to show that you know you're within my lineage and you're a part of this tradition and all of those things. We'll get that with the same thing with food. I don't think God was telling Peter like, go ahead and eat the things that the Gentiles eat. He's saying, I think you, know, you can still keep your dietary you know, res- you know, restrictions, the things that you grew up with. Um, you just can't say, because they eat something different, they're cut off. Like, I can't eat with you. 
Um, because they're not circumcised, you're no longer somebody I can talk to. You're no longer somebody, and I can do business with you, but it has to end, you know, I have to draw lines. You can't come into my household, otherwise you make me unclean. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it was. That's not the whole point of what I was trying to do when we sent that up. So, um, so he even, because even, they even said they mixed those two things in verse 2 back in, in, in Acts, or, chapter, or verse 3, back in Acts chapter 11. He says, uh, the, or the, the circumcision party, you went to circ- uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Like, you kind of did both of the taboos that, that, you know, they were uncircumcised and then you ate with them. And so that makes you um, unclean. Okay, so uh, were Jews not to eat with them or not to eat what they were eating? Okay, well, which one is in Scripture? The, uh, well, in, in the Levitical law, it's the, it's the actual food. Yeah, so they weren't to eat food, but then added to that was that kind of tradition. And you can see why, why that's actually not a bad rule if you want to prevent yourself from, like, going over, you know, by violating a command, Right? Because if you eat at someone's house, again, you eat at someone's house and you don't ask the right questions, you might eat something that maybe you're like, oh, I shouldn't be eating that. Um, <laughs> I remember like the first year that I taught, I brought in some cookies and they had some nuts in them. And I said, anybody, you know, they have some nuts in them. Uh, if you know, you can't eat. This was before like the whole peanut allergy became a little bit bigger than, than the nuts were, you know, like a big thing. Um, and so I said, you know, if anyone has like a nut allergy, you know, don't, don't eat it. And I remember some kid like puts a cookie in his mouth and another kid was like, don't you have a peanut allergy? And he's like, oh yeah. You know, like he, t- he like he spaced out. He was an eighth grader. Like by this time, you know, my, you know, my eight year old cousin, she's like, oh, you know, ask about everything. Does it have nuts? Does it have nuts? You know, but he, he was like, and he didn't even really know. I think I have an allergy. And so you're like, well, maybe, you know, I do have these others that don't have nuts. Like eat those. So, um, you know, so for those that might be a little bit less cautious, you know, to have this rule, just don't eat with Gentiles. How about that? You just don't eat with Gentiles. Don't eat any cookies at all, and you'll be safe from the nuts. Just eat water, drink water, and, you know, these whatever things that I give you. Um, that's all you can eat, because otherwise you may violate something that you don't want to know. But really, Scripture was like, I don't want you to eat those things. And we talked about the whole reason. Again, they were setting up themselves as a nation. They're distinct from their neighbors. Well, now the neighbors are in 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 their midst, and so how is how how do they how does God need to kind of retrain them and help them to rethink about what's right and wrong to do? And so, was this objection that these these circum the circumcision party was it made based on uh, heart actions? Was this a moral um, uh, violation that these these Gentiles were making, or is this physical issues? So it was physical, right? It was, it was, were they circumcised or not? That's a physical thing. And what did they eat? The thing that they brought into their, their body. And we already, we looked at the whole thing about what Jesus said, right? It's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's what comes out. It's your heart, right? If you're going to make a distinction on these Gentiles, make a distinction on like their moral character. But we already know this guy, the centurion, was revered by the Jews. He gave to the poor. He was respected. He prayed to God multiple times. And, uh, you know, and so there's nothing really that you can you can blame him for, but they're still making a gut reaction. I can't believe you went and ate with like these uncircumcised Gentiles. They kind of just said, 
you know, like lumped them into like the sinners and tax collectors. I can't believe you ate with them, right? And Jesus actually went to eat with those that were normally uh, attributed with um, occupations that were had moral, uh, you know, corruptions to them, if you want to say that. So the news was met with some skepticism. So now the news gets reported a little bit more accurately. And Peter, verse 4, says, But Peter began to explain to them in order. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it clearly, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Okay, I just I just want to kind of pause again. Like I, I think this like command to rise and eat again. This is a vision. I'm going to lump this in the same command for um, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Right? Like, is the end result that Isaac is to be murdered? No, but it's the obedience and like, where's your heart and your obedience to me and your understanding of these people and who they are. I think, you know, God is saying it is acceptable, Peter, and Paul will later say that. It's okay to eat whatever you want to eat, but I don't think he's saying, like, you know, like, I want you to violate something in your conscience. Because Paul would later say, if it goes against your conscience, like, then, then it's sin. So Peter right now is in an area where he, like, might, you know, he'd be violating his conscience if he ate. Because he's like, by no means, God, right? That makes you unclean. But the whole point was that then the vision, you know, that he hears this voice and this command coupled with this and it's supposed to change his mind about not just the food but again the people who eat that food and he's like oh now i get it so this is a way that god is just is tempting him to do those things you know to to do something that he feels goes against his heart but it is challenging his heart like really why do i why do i feel this way and so peter is going to open up um in in this regard so anyway um he says again, by, by no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my um, mouth. But the voice answered a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And so really, Peter's just recounting all the things that we've already gone over, and you can read those in chapter 10. Exactly what happened. He adds a couple more details. He tells them that six brothers came with them. Um, we just knew that some came with them, but it was six, so a handful, you know, at least you know that there are other witnesses to what happened, um, and that the vision that Cornelius had, he says that there was an angel standing there, and so inside his house, so we kind of know maybe a little more of the location of where he was praying. But he just kind of repeats again the things that, that happened. All right, so now... We turn, and so it's accurately reported, this news, but now the news is interpreted accurately. So he, kind of, he then now is like, let me connect the dots, because I was, at the moment that I was praying and the knock on the door, dots were connected for me with this vision and what that could mean. And so he's, he's now 
explaining, interpreting these things. Verse 16, And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When then they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, so what was Peter's reason that what he did was okay? How did he justify, you know, like, how could you go eat with uncircumcised men? Um, how could you do that? And so what was his justification? Okay, yeah. Is that, like, you know, I mean, at first it was kind of an obedience thing. I just, you know, had this vision and knock at the door and, okay, I'll go. And they said, hey, preach the word. And I went and preached. And I didn't, I didn't even eat with them, you know, at least, at least the, we don't have the details of the, the eating with them. Uh, he did stay with them, so he ate with them afterwards. But at that point, he's just kind of being obedient and preaches the word. And then it's that confirmation, right? Um. That confirmation that the, the Holy Spirit fell on them in the exact same way. Remember when we were in that upper room? Remember when we were praying? And all of a sudden we started speaking in tongues. Like it was that exact same thing. So who are we? Like if it's no different, right? If God sees them no different, why should we see them differently? So you can kind of pause in your own life and say, are there any like distinctions that we make even between other believers? Or even other people groups. But I think, more importantly, other believers, because that's what they were doing. You know, like, they kind of set aside the fact, like, the, you know, well, they had certainly by now heard about all the, you know, some of the details. Peter kind of maybe clarifies for them what they had heard. But really, the big details, I can't believe you went and ate with them. Did you know that Peter went and ate with, you know, these Gentile men? Oh, I can't believe he did that. You know, let's go find out what, what happened when Peter comes back. And he says that. But Peter says, you know, they're no different. Than us, but sometimes we in our own lives, right? We want to make distinctions between, and that's that's I think something that was hard for me. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily hard, but like sometimes, uh, depending on different churches that you go to, you do start to isolate yourself. And I definitely have been at churches where you isolate yourself from other believers. You know, you say like well, we take the word more seriously than them. So then you just kind of say, like, well, they're not even really full Christians. You're doing the exact same thing that, like, that the Jews were doing to the Samaritans, right? They're kind of half-Jews. And the Gentiles, no way. Um, but I think those are the things, like, like, where people differ. Certainly error is something that, that should be addressed. But if the, Lord, if, <laughs> if the Lord has called them out of sin, they have repented of their sins, they're still maybe in darkness of understanding. And if we want to be real, there's, in our own lives, there's still things that we are learning, right? We are not fully arrived uh, at our full understanding of all of the scriptures. And so I think this is a great instructional time that we just kind of just pause and say, like, are there any times that I look at other Christians and just say, like, well, you're not fully Christian or you're not whatever. And Peter's just addressing, like, yes, do these Gentiles have some learning to do? Oh, yes. I'm sure there's things that, you know, and we're going to find out when we get to Acts chapter 15, some of the things that the Jews say, like, you know, you need to probably stop doing some of these things because it's making other people uncomfortable. Um, but 
for now, God's just like, he's, he's just identifying the fact that now they're part of us. And again, Peter's role as he was going from church to church is to teach them and to pour into them. And we're going to see that happen uh, in the next section as well, that discipleship certainly needs to happen. But as we make our kind of distinctions about who's you know, a part of God's family, um, we need to know, like, prioritize what by means, what is the means that they understand how they are saved. And if it's anything other than by through Jesus Christ, then yes, they are a different Christian. But if it's through at least that basic commonality, then some of the differences that we have, we can kind of work through. And hopefully, if it's something that we can disciple others, um, maybe the Lord can, can use us through gentleness and persistence and some other ways. But that's another, that's another, another topic uh, for another day. But it's good to kind of then pause and think about. Well, how did everyone respond? When they finally were like, you know, it's, I, yeah, I guess, I guess you are right. How did they respond? We'll say in verse 18. Yeah, I mean, really, it's like, you know, if there is an argument, it's like, well, do they say they follow Jesus? Is there fruit of them following Jesus? Yes. Okay, well, let's just, let's just pause there. You know, and really, like, what, else, what, other, what other things do you want to say that make them not a Christian? You know, it's really like, ah, you know. There's other things that, you know, we can talk about, about that fruit, but again, that's another distinction. So they all fell silent. They're like, yeah, I mean, at least at least from that initial basis, well, we understand, yes, and the Holy Spirit confirmed these things, that they are a part of us, and they glorified God. They're like, I guess, God, then to the Gentiles, you've granted repentance. We don't know how they said it or the inflection. You know, if it was like, yes, the Gentiles are part of us, or if it's like, I guess the Gentiles are, you know, a part of us. I think, you know... I would have to say it's probably that, like a little bit of the latter. And, the, and I, I only justify, again, I have no idea. Hopefully they celebrated and was you know, praiseworthy. But for definitely some, I think some were kind of like, okay, I guess them too. Because we're going to see that the Gentiles aren't always fully like welcomed in. You know, there's going to be other times where it's like, yeah, okay. You know, again, and, and I made the, some of those parallels between, uh, actually I didn't go over them last time, but I, I kind of drew some parallels as we are going through um, the last chapter of Acts through, and I kind of mentioned Jonah going to Joppa, but there's other like kind of parallels between Jonah and what he did and what Peter did. Now, Peter was a lot more obedient uh, than Jonah was, but there's definitely things where Jonah went to these Gentiles. Uh, Jonah responded in the fact that he's like, I guess that you're trying to save them too, God, because he didn't want the Assyrians uh, <laughs> to repent of their sin. He wanted them to be judged. Um, and I think some in their hearts, you know, still, uh, some would still be holding on. But let's, let's assume that they're, they're all celebrating. But they say the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is definitely true um, that we see. And so what they are saying is true. Hopefully their hearts will follow up with that. So what would you expect the disciples to do next? So I guess the Gentiles are a part of this. So what do you think that, that they should do? So go preach the Gentiles, all right? Um, but they don't go, we don't see that that is like their next course of action. They still kind of remain like what they're doing, you know, uh, still going out through Judea. You know, Peter kind of was like specially asked to come to this guy. And so that's why I think it's not until... You know, you start seeing these dots connected because we're going to then switch to where, where Saul's going, you know, and, and you know, then referred to as Paul. And he then goes and launches a full-out crusade to the Gentiles. 
And, uh, but he doesn't, you know, we'll see the pattern is to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But he's like, our mission is to go to Gentile areas. Um, and so he's, he's, he's one of those that are going to spearhead that and kind of be that main thrust. But for now, it's, it, the apostles aren't taking that on as their job. They're still kind of maintaining what's going on around there. But the Gentiles, it's opened up to. Um, and so we move to this next group, verse 19. We'll see, how, we'll see how quickly we can get through this. All right, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. All right, so we like rewind the tape about seven or eight years, maybe a little bit, a little bit more than that. So some time has definitely transpired. And that when Stephen was uh, stoned, it's only a few chapters back, in Acts chapters uh, 6, 7, uh, is when we see that happening. Um, but uh, time has elapsed, and it says that when people scattered because of that persecution, we know that they went to Samaria, and that's when Philip went down there, and they went to other areas. We're going to start seeing, like, what, you know, what happened, right? Now, now in other news, so we're going to kind of get a back, the background story about what's going on. They go to these different cities. So what's the importance of these cities? Well, one is Phoenicia, which would be, um, is interesting, uh, sometimes when I'm like, where is this located? And I try to Google it on the map. It usually brings it to like a present-day Google map. And so if you try to go to Caesarea to um, Phoenicia, uh, which is really like Tyre and Sire, uh, Sidon, and, and those two cities we'll, we'll talk about in the next couple weeks, um, uh, you can't go directly up the coast. You could at that time, but now because of borders, you have to like go out of the border and like around. So it's like several hours instead of like only it's about 60 miles um, north uh, in south Lebanon. So it's across the border in another, another com- country. But if you know anything about history, the Phoenicians had their own empire and they were known for the alphabet and they kind of had all these coastal cities in the Mediterranean. They were known for this purple dye that they made from snails and all this stuff. So anyway, so if you don't remember that in history, that's okay. Um, just say, okay, cool. Um, but it's just up the coast of Caesarea, but it's now outside of Israel. It is in a Gentile area. Definitely Tyre and Sidon would not be in Israel's bounds. It's always talked about as like a part of another nation, a part of Lebanon, and Lebanon was talked about in the Old Testament. But some believers went as far as there. They stayed in Israel, but some went there. Some went to Cyprus, and if you went from Phoenicia and you sailed, because it's on the coast, or Tyre, we'll say that, and sailed west. The island right off, side, uh, right off the coast is Cyprus. We'll, we'll get to Cyprus a little bit later. Um, so it's a large island uh, just off of Israel and, and the coast of Lebanon. And then the third place was Antioch. It's in southeast Turkey, so just north of, of, uh, just north of Tyre and Sidon, uh, you know, north of Lebanon, and now southeast Turkey. And... Uh, it was the third largest city in all of the Roman Empire. There was estimated between 500 to 800,000 people that were in Antioch. It was at that time the capital of the Syrian province. So the Roman Empire kind of broke off different places into cap, you know, to provinces, and Antioch would have been its capital. Um, and so some went to there, and it says that... Uh, I forget, did I read these verses? Or am I, just, I, I can't remember if I'm pausing this. Well, I'll just read them again. But there were some of them who went to Cyprus, Cyrene, who had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So what did it mean to be a Hellenist? 
You guys remember what that, that word meant? Greek. Yeah, Greek speaking, right? And Greek culture. Now, there was a distinction between the Hellenists and the Jews that were, you know, and the widows. Remember that? And that was kind of the understanding that they were probably Greek-speaking believers that went to a Greek-speaking synagogue because it was in a predominantly Jewish area where there was no pagan worship in that area. That would have been, you know, get outside of our country, you know, type of thing. Um, uh, but in these areas, when you talk about Hellenists and you're outside of the Jewish nation, as the Jews would have understood, the Hellenists might more large, you know, broadly be seen as just those who are Greek culture. But we're kind of seeing these, you know, the repetition of some of these things and the uh, differences that, uh, that arise. Either way, it indicates that they speak Greek, and that's their predominant probably way of conversing with others, which makes sense because it's a more uh, predominantly Greek area, but it's also coastal areas and places that um, would have much more trade and influence from that outside world, and Greek would have been that predominant speak, uh, pattern of speech. So they went, when they went, they preached the word, the word of God to them. And it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and whenever you see the hand of the Lord, uh, we're going to see the hand of the Lord was on this guy, and the hand of the Lord made him blind. Or you see if Luke, when he's writing in, in Luke chapter 1, talking about Zechariah, when he opens up his mouth, remember his, his voice was taken, he couldn't speak, and then when he like finally speaks, um, it says that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Uh, that really we see God, like the power of God like manifestly seen in what's going on. And it says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We see those two things. They believed and they turned. They're not necessarily separate events, but it's a, the combination of the fact that believe is faith and turning to the Lord is repentance, right? So we have faith and repentance coupled together that, you know, they're not only like, oh yeah, that sounds good, that Jesus, I'll add him into all my other, you know, gods that I, that I believe in. But no, that they turn to Jesus uh, as the one that they should call their Lord. And so it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. All right, so how far did this travel? Traveled all the way down to Jerusalem. What was going on, you know, you know probably at this point, uh, over 100 miles away in kind of this gent- predominantly Gentile area. But news of that spread down. Some of the news might be, you know, some of the, the Jewish Christians would have still traveled back to Jerusalem where they first heard the word of God. Remember, they were in Jerusalem either to see friends or maybe to come during some of the uh, bigger um, feasts. Uh, you know, again, probably would have traveled down and you hear, start hearing word trickling down like way up there in that area. They're starting to hear this, uh, hear the word of God. And so, who did they send? Yeah, we see, we see Barnabas uh, coming up again. Do you guys remember the first time we saw Barnabas? We've seen him twice in Scripture. The one was at the end of chapter 4. We first introduced to Barnabas, and you remember what he did? It was, that was the second time. The first time, it just said that uh, the Jews, uh, that the Christians, um, the believers, that they would sell their land for anybody who had need. And one of these guys sold some land. His name was Barnabas. He was a Levite, a native from Cyprus. And so you're like, hmm, interesting. All right, the second, the second uh, time we see Barnabas, he's doing what? Yeah, he's defending Paul. Like, Paul had come down. Like, he, he uh, was on his way to Damascus to, you know, bring back... 
these Christians and, you know, throw them in jail, and then he's converted. Uh, we kind of saw that linking uh, the beginning of, of Galatians, that he probably spent a few years, went down to Arabia, went back to Damascus, and then um, was pushed out of the city. He had to be, you know, escaped by being lowered out of a basket off a wall. Goes to Jerusalem. He's only there 15 days, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's, like, arguing with the the Jews there, which, you know, right in the hotbed, and and the apostles are like, maybe you should go take some time off. Um, because he was just starting to, 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 to stir up trouble. So he goes back to Tarsus, but while he is there, so we'll get to him in a second. While he's there, Barnabas, you know, when he first came back, the people were like, wasn't that the guy? It was a few years ago, but I'm pretty sure that's the guy. I mean, I, can't, I don't forget a face, right? He's the guy that was like, sending out people to drag people out of their houses and throw them in jail. He's preaching Jesus. Like, it's just confusion. And Barnabas is like, no, 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 no. Like, like let him tell his story. Like, hear him out. So Barnabas, remember his, his uh, they gave him a nickname, Son of Encouragement, that, that he's just like the supporter, right? And so by this time, again, about five years have elapsed since this time that Paul went back up, um, that... Uh, they send Barnabas up. So probably continuing to, to be faithful. He was from Cyprus, uh, which is one of the places that those people from Cyprus and uh, uh, came over to Antioch. And so he would have been looked at as maybe an insider. You know, probably had traveled up through that way to go back home. And so would have been continued to see. So they send Barnabas, who would have been probably known at that time, to check to see like what the commotion is and like is this indeed true like why don't you go find out what what's going on and so um, the news was investigated and celebrated verse 23 when he came and saw the grace of god he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the lord and steadfast with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the lord So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All right, let's uh, actually let's just pause here because there's like a lot of stuff that we can go through, and I can either blow through this quickly, but we also have a mass exodus, so uh, we'll just see this as like (laughs) as a. as, as maybe a time to pause. You know, there's always that time that you're like, I can push through. And, you know, and it's also that, like, you know, we've heard a lot. We've gotten a lot. There's still more that, you know, we can kind of unpack the background because, you know, there are certain points that I'd like to make about Barnabas that I was going to overlook. But I think, I think we'll kind of look at that. Um, but if we kind of step back and just kind of recap real, real quick, is that first, the news of these conversions spread. Um, even without social media, right, that people are hearing these things, you know, it may take a little bit longer, not instantly, but the news of what's going on uh, has spread. Um, It's met with interest and with, like, further investigation. Like, Peter, like, explain yourself. Barnabas, go find out what's going on. And then when they finally understand that the fact that, like, you know, God's word is just going out to these different people groups, um, the typical reaction is met with, we'll see, and we'll go through that, that word, that, but it says that, that Barnabas was glad. It's actually, he was jo- overjoyed is the word, um, full of joy. And then, uh, you know, with, with the others, that 
they were, you know, they rejoiced and praised God that now the Gentiles are hearing that. Um, and then we're going to see that we don't know exactly what happened with Cornelius and those guys that kind of faded off. We don't hear about what happened with him anymore. But with Barnabas, we're going to start to see that Barnabas is like, you know what? They heard the word, I'm going to stay and I'm going to build upon what is happening. Now, the others that were closer to that same, we seem to have a circuit. Peter was going out and preaching and those. So we kind of understand that maybe churches are routinely checked on. Barnabas is like, I'm going to go because it is kind of far, and I'm going to plant myself there, and I'm going to build upon what, um, what it is that they've heard. So we're going to kind of see this idea of discipleship being kind of uh, fleshed out a little bit and see how that happens a little bit later. A lot of application points, you know, for our own lives, you know, for, you know, how others react, uh, reacted to us, how sometimes we react to others in hearing the gospel. Um, and so hopefully the Lord can continue to work on any maybe prejudices that we have. Some are good, you know, and some are unwarranted. Um, but as he continues to work on our hearts to, to really figure out, you know, Lord, are these things okay? Or are these things that I should be, you know, a little bit apprehensive about? Or should I be more open-minded about these uh, people? Uh, or about whatever opportunities that the Lord places in my way. Uh, any final questions or comments uh, before we break off? I'm thinking, how are the Jews, you know, the Pharisees and Pharisees, reacting to all of this? Because especially if they see Gentiles being brought in, like these crazy Jews that are all soliciting, bringing Gentiles into the flock, you know, they are... Yeah. Yeah. So glad that you mentioned that because I think too, as the Je- Jewish Christians are like, okay, I guess he's working in the Gentiles. The immediate chapter that we find after that, Peter's thrown in jail and James is uh, martyred, and so we get our, our next, our next like, hey, like, all right, now you've crossed the line. You know, um, there are several times that they've crossed the line, and so you know, it's really interesting how the Lord has kind of like suppressed things. Um, historically, there's maybe some reasons for that too, but uh, we'll see it kind of, you know, build, you know, raises some emotions back up again. But it's kind of a good insight that you had about that, and we'll see that is their their reaction that will come come next. So, all right, well, let's uh, let's break. Uh,